Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Today is obviously our Thanksgiving Sunday, and uh, this uh, leading up into this Thursday, which is Thanksgiving Day, and uh, you know, usually people have some Thanksgiving plans. It's usually with family. Sometimes it's with friends, and you know, you gather around the table and things like that. And and different people have different traditions, the different kinds of foods uh, that they have, and the meals that they have. And uh, when I was uh, a kid, uh, my mom used to, uh, you know, do the kind of traditional thing. We would have turkey and uh, stuff like that. Uh, but we soon realized that, boy, with a family of five, if you have a whole turkey, you got a lot of leftover turkey. Uh, and so we would be eating turkey on Thanksgiving Day and the day after Thanksgiving and the Saturday after Thanksgiving and for weeks and weeks on end, it felt like, you know, it's just turkey and everything. And, well, you have this huge turkey and we, we what are we going to do? Well, we got to eat it. And so after a while, my mom was like, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing this huge old turkey? And so we just decided to substitute it with different things. And so uh, so we got our own little traditions. That you have your traditions. You know, for me and my family, you know, there's just a couple of us. And so, you know, my wife, she doesn't go through the whole thing of baking a whole turkey. So we do uh, different things. This year we'll be uh, out of town for a little bit. And so that's what we're going to do. And, and uh, you know, oftentimes it's during Thanksgiving Day, maybe when you're sitting down for that meal. And maybe you do have the turkey. And maybe you do have all of the other things. Uh, a lot of people have the tradition of just, you know, going around the table and just asking, you know, uh, why don't you let everyone know what you're thankful for, right? You know, you might start at the head of the table, you might start with the dad, or you might start with somebody, and you know, I'm thankful for salvation, I'm thankful for my family, I'm thankful for good health, and you, we could go all the way around, right? You know, that's something that I did, and I'm sure that's something that many of you do as well, and, and uh, you know, from the comforts of our homes, we might spend a few moments to just thank God for his goodness to us. We're here in the book of Philippians, and when we read in verse number three, when Paul is writing and he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Paul is not sitting at the dinner table on Thanksgiving Day. He's not sitting in a nice warm home, you know, the, the weather's getting a little bit chillier and he's got the heater going and things like that. Paul, when he's writing this letter, is writing this letter from prison. He's in Rome. And he's been in prison for the sake of the gospel. And it would be easy in a moment like that just to think about all of the problems that he has, all of the difficulties, uh, about all of the unfairness that has been directed his way. And yet when he's writing this letter at the very top after his introduction, he gets right into thanksgiving. Oh, I'm so thankful to God for you all. And it wasn't just in this letter, some of the other letters that he wrote in this time when he was in prison, he began those letters with thanksgiving. When he writes to the church at Colossae, he says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying for you all. When he wrote the letter of Philemon, he says, I thank my God, making mention of the always in my prayers. And so Paul carried with him this attitude of thanksgiving everywhere that he went. No matter whether he was on the mountaintops or in the valleys, every single day he made sure to thank God. And I love that he put the thanksgiving here at the beginning of the book, not at the end. It wasn't an afterthought. 
but something that was on the forefront of his mind. And I, I love that Paul made an emphasis of putting this at the very front and at the very beginning. And as we take a look at some of these verses, I want to see how Paul expressed his thanksgiving. Because it sounds so elementary, you know, what are you thankful for? You just say, I'm thankful for the Bible, you know, things like that. But Paul actually goes through a few things in mentioning his thanksgiving and how he expressed his thanksgiving. And I so, so I thought that it would be good for us to just think about some of the steps that Paul took in expressing his thanksgiving. So first of all, I want to see that Paul addressed his thanksgiving to the Savior, and we should address our thanksgiving to the Savior. And of course, thanksgiving is a wonderful day. It's a good day for us to stop and really give thanks. I think in the busyness of life, you're going to work, you're thinking you're in school and you're thinking about projects that you have, you have a family, you've got to take care of your family, you're thinking about dinner, you're thinking about things that you want to do as a family, planning for Thanksgiving, and then soon it's Christmas, you've got to think about buying presents for your friends and family and all of these sorts of things, and it's easy to really get caught up in the busyness of life. It's good for us to have moments where we really just stop and think about what we're thankful for. And not just be busy, 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 but just to take a few moments and just stop. When we do our family devotions, sometimes I'll ask the girls at the end of the devotion before we, before we pray and close, I'll ask them, uh, you know, what are you thankful for? You know, let us know something you're thankful for. And usually what they will say is, I'm thankful for my family. And I praise the Lord that they're thankful for me, <laughs> you know, that they're thankful for us. But also I ask them, you know, think a little bit deeper than that. You know, of course we're thankful for family, we're thankful for some of these things, but uh, let's keep going. And, you know, here in the church or maybe in your Life Connection class, uh, when you're with your family, it's, it's a good exercise to go through and just think about all of the things. And, you know, we could start with the things that everybody thinks about at the beginning. You know, our health, where if you have great health, praise the Lord for that. And you can thank God for your health. If you think about your church, I'm thankful for my church, I'm thankful for my family, I'm thankful for my job, I'm thankful for salvation and going through all of these things. And, you know, I'm thankful for this and I'm thankful for that. When I was in Bible college, uh, there were four of us in our room and uh, closer towards uh, the Thanksgiving season, we actually stopped uh, our and we just went around and uh, just, uh, you know, it was me and then, uh, you know, Caleb and uh, Dale and, and Craig, and we would just go around, around and around. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful for my church. I'm thankful for the word. I'm thankful for my friend over here. I'm thankful for this opportunity. And we would go around and around and around. And one of my uh, friends, he had, uh, he had a, a, an issue with his spine, and he said, you know, I'm actually thankful for that. You know, it's taught me some things, and God has used that in my life. And it, it's good to be thankful for these things. Even some of the uh, things that we might not ask for, they can be things that we could thank the Lord for. And that's one of the things that my friend was thankful for. And uh, oftentimes it's during these times that we will, will say, I'm thankful for, you know, uh, my family. I'm thankful for my spouse. I'm thankful for my kids. But I do want to notice that that's not how Paul phrased his thanksgiving. If you notice in verse number three, he doesn't say, I'm thankful for. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm thankful for my health, or I'm thankful for these things. But Paul didn't say it that way. He didn't say, I'm thankful for. Do you notice what he says in verse number three? What does he say? He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. When he took some time 
in thanksgiving, he directed that thanksgiving to God. Because thanksgiving is literally giving thanks, right? I'm taking my thankfulness and I'm giving it away. And so when we think about thanksgiving, we can ask the question, well, to whom are we giving our thanks? So it's wonderful for us to be, I'm thankful for my health, I'm thankful for my ministry, I'm thankful for these things. But you notice that Paul, I'm sure that in those instances, he wouldn't have said, I'm thankful for, you know what he would have said? I thank my God for my health. I thank my God for my ministry. I thank my God for these things. And thanksgiving should be directed towards the Lord. There's nothing wrong with thanking people directly, right? You thank your you know, your spouse, you thank your parents, you thank your co-workers, you thank even random strangers, you know, they hold the door open, oh, thank you, I appreciate that, you can thank them. Thanksgiving needs to be directed towards somebody, but ultimately, all of our thanksgiving needs to be directed towards the Lord, because the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift that you have in your life that you've received comes from God and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow, neither shadow of turning. So all of these things that we might stop and think and say, I'm thankful for my health, I'm thankful for my family, I'm thankful for my job, I'm thankful for these different things, all of those things ultimately came from the Lord. Now, sometimes God gives them to us through another person, but ultimately, every good and perfect gift we have comes from God. You know, I think about, you know, my family. I'm thankful for my family. I thank my God for my family. I think about somebody like my dad. My dad was the first one to be saved in our family. He was the one who kind of went on this journey looking for the truth, and he was the first one to be saved. Uh, me and my brother, we were both born already, and so there were four of us at the time. My sister was born later, but, you know, my dad was the first one to get saved, and then uh, my mom got saved a little while later, and then we started going to church, and we were raised in the church, and then uh, my brother got saved, I got saved, my sister got saved, and all of that came because of my dad. And my dad would bring us to Sunday school. My dad would uh, kind of take us to, you know, different activities, things like that. And uh, I think, I'm thankful for my dad, but do you know where my dad came from? My dad was created by God. So that wonderful gift that I have, this person that I call dad, ultimately came from God because God made him. So I should thank God that he created my dad so that he could be in my life, so that I could be here. I think, I think about somebody like my mom, you know, and how much did she sacrifice for us? And, uh, you know, she stayed at home and raised his kids, and, you know, she was that soccer mom, you know. I would have soccer practice, my brother had soccer practice, I had piano lessons, and, you know, he'd have orchestra and stuff like that, and she would just be driving around all afternoon, and then we were homeschooled on top of that, too, and all these different things, and I'm thinking for my mom, and all that she did, and the sacrifices that she made so that we could take advantage of these opportunities, well, just like my dad, my mom was created by God. All life comes from the Lord. And so I can thank God and say, God, I'm thankful to you. I thank my God for my mom 
and for my dad. And we could go down the list. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my friends and family, all of those things. Where did all of those people came from? Well, God is the source of all life. So God created them. And so ultimately, when I think I'm thankful for my dad, I can say, I thank my God for my dad. And you might take it even further and think about things like your career. You might think about the company that you work at, the opportunities that you've had, or the education that you've had, all of these different sorts of things. And, and you can think about those opportunities and uh, those positions and those people that you have in your life from the Lord. You know, I, I have a unique situation where I, I have the privilege of working here at the church. And here at the church, my boss, I don't, you know, we usually don't think of it this way, but my boss is our pastor, Pastor Choi. So my boss is Pastor Choi, and I'm thankful for him that he invited me out here, you know, six years ago, and uh, that I, I'm here in ministry. I'm glad he hasn't fired me, you know. <laughs> I'm glad for all of these things, you know. And I can thank my God for my pastor. I can thank God for my coworkers. I can thank God for the people of my church, the opportunities that you have in your life. All of them were created by God. God created the earth, God created the sun, God created all of the elements here on earth, God created all of the people with the different minds to be able to create different things and build businesses, all of that. So everything that we think about, we can say, I thank my God for all of these things. And we can take it into the church as well when we think about somebody like a life connection leader who's been a great help to us, taught us some things out of the word. We might think about a mentor, somebody who just kind of was there alongside of us, guiding us. You might think about your pastor. You might think about a peer that you have there in the church. Well, all those things that you have in your life, they came from the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So here are all of these people that you might have in your life here at the church. God gave those people to you. God gave you your pastor. God gave you your leader. God gave you that teacher that you have in your life in order to help us to grow. And so we can thank our God for all of these things. So the first part of Paul's thanksgiving was that he directed and addressed his thanksgiving to the Lord. The second part of his thanksgiving was he articulated his thanksgiving specifically. All right, verse number three, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And if you jump down to verse number five, the first word there in verse number five is the word for. So now he's going to elaborate on the things that he is thankful for. And of course, you know, when we give thanks, we don't just say, I'm so thankful. We always put on, I'm thankful for, and we let people know what we're thankful for. Or even in your minds, you might think, I'm so thankful for this person that I have in my life. But I want you to notice what it was that Paul was thankful for. Remember the context, he's in prison. He's writing these letters from prison. He's there on behalf or, or for the sake of the gospel. And because of all of that, he's there in prison. And uh, so being in prison, because he was preaching the gospel, what did Paul thank God for? Well, he thanked God for the church. That's really what he's saying. He's writing to them and he's saying, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for uh, if we could put it this way, Bible Baptist Church of the city of Philippi, right? That's what he's thankful for. And there's a few specific parts 
of the church that he was thankful for, some character traits that he was thankful for. The first of which was that Paul thanked God for their fellowship. Verse number five says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So the word fellowship comes from the word fellow. The word fellow is maybe not a word that we might use today, but the word fellow has the idea of a business partner. It comes from two words that put together literally mean money that is laid down, right? It's the idea of I'm taking my money and I'm putting this into this venture together. Just like if you're gonna start a business, you might have somebody who puts up $10,000, another person puts up $10,000 and you are 50-50 in this business, right? So that's the idea of a fellow. So here in fellowship in the gospel, the idea is that Paul was committed to the gospel and these people were also committed to the gospel. They were committed to the same thing. And he was thankful for that fellowship, that they were able to serve together, that he had a partner in the ministry because God designed our lives to be done together. God designed for us to have this social interaction and relationships with each other. When God first created the first man, he created Adam. He specifically created him alone, and he then after that said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. That's why we need a church, all right? That's why we need a congregation. That's why we need a group of people to be together, and it helps us in the Christian life. Right? A lot of if you, you, if you go to the gym or you work out or different things like that, a lot of you will have a workout partner. You'll have a running partner. Why? Because it's so much easier to keep running when you have somebody there running alongside of you. It's so much easier to keep on working out when you're a little bit tired. Maybe you don't want to wake up. You don't want to go to the gym. Hey, your friend's going to call you and say, hey, let's go to the gym. Hey, well, you're going to be there, right? It's a lot easier to keep going, to be faithful in those situations. And so, it's good for us to have other people. It's good to have a church. It's good to be part of a Life Connection class. I know that, you know, you come here maybe on a Sunday morning, you're here at 9.30. After the service, we normally have, not today, but normally we have these Life Connection classes, kids' classes, youth classes, adult classes, different classes for uh, different groups of people. And there's a good reason for that. The reason for that is for us to help to get to know each other, to build relationships, and to be able to know that there's somebody here who's alongside of me, somebody who understands me, somebody who's maybe in the same stage of life as me. And we could run through this race together. Teenagers getting together with other teenagers, realizing, you know what, I'm not the only one who's a Christian. There are other believers here. Let's run our race together. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm at work and it's, you know, it's a tough spiritual environment. There's other people with tough spiritual environments. Hey, let's keep running the race together. And so Paul was thankful for that fellowship that he could have with these believers. And he thanked God that they were in fellowship with the right focus. Because it's not just that they were together, but that they were together in the right thing. Because there's a big difference between being together in the right thing and being together in the wrong thing, right? That's where we would say, being together in the wrong thing, we would say, you need to find new friends, right? You're doing the wrong thing. They're leading you in the wrong direction. You need to find people that will take you 
in the right direction. Not friends that will lead you into sin or disobedience or chasing after the wrong thing, but that you will go in the right direction together. I remember uh, watching one of these videos of these big cycling races, you know, I, uh, you know, probably all of you have heard about the Tour de France, you know, that big cycling race that they do every year. And, uh, you know, it's a big deal. And, uh, you know, I was never really into cycling, never really, you know, watched it too much. But every once in a while it would come on, right? You know, people would talk about it or whatever, you know, especially when Lance Armstrong, you know, all of those things. You know, we, we heard a lot about it and, and things like that. And so, uh, so you, know, I, you know, every once in a while I'll see little things here and there about, you know, cycling and the Tour de France. And I remember watching one of these videos that, that had come up. And uh, it was interesting because normally the race is just not terribly exciting to me. It's just a bunch of cyclists kind of cycling down the road. But this race was interesting because they were cycling down the road. And then after a little while, you could kind of see that they, you know, they kind of look a little confused. You know, they're kind of cycling down, they're kind of looking around. You know, usually people are laser focused in this race and, you know, I'm going that way. But you can kind of see they, they start to look around and then they all start to slow down. And then if you notice the environment, right, in these big races, you know, they're like crowds that'll be on the sides of the road. You know, they'll have these cars and motorcycles just kind of, you know, following along. They'll have, you know, kind of barriers to make sure that, you know, they, they, they don't go off the wrong path. And then, you know, but in that video, as you begin to see they get a little confused and when you look around you see that it looks like they're just cycling through the middle of town what had happened was for whatever reason there was a little gap in one of those places where they were supposed to turn and they didn't notice that they were supposed to turn and so they just went cycling right through the gap off the race course and they're just cycling through the middle of town and they began to think like this doesn't feel right. You know, where is everybody? And they realized they got off track and there's a big group of people. They all had to turn around and come back and get on the race. And they, they lost a lot of time. Sometimes the Christian race can become like those cyclists. Oh, we're together, but we went off track together. That's not what you want. You don't want to be together getting off track together. You want to stay on track together. That's the idea of the church. The church is here to help us all to be together and to stay on track together. Amen? Amen. And so that's what the church is here for, and he's thankful for that. If you want to summarize what the church is for, what we are about, uh, Matthew chapter 28 gives us a great summary. Jesus came unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You want to know what we as Christians are supposed to be about? That's it. You know what the church helps us to do? To stay on track. And so he was thankful for this church that was not just hanging out together, but they were together in the right thing, faithful from the first day until now. He was thankful that they had continued in faithfulness, that they were not just something that started and then they just kind of faded off, but that they were there, faithful every single week, every single day, faithful in the ministry. He was thankful that he didn't just start the church and they got saved and they were on fire for the Lord and then over the years they began to fade away. He was glad that they had been faithful, shining the light of the gospel. 
because faithfulness matters. And faithfulness is not always something that we think about until something disrupts that faithfulness, right? You're used to going to work until suddenly there's an accident on that road and they blocked everything off and now there's a huge traffic jam. Now it's disrupted you or I've had this happen a couple of times where I woke up and usually my routine is I wake up, I take a shower, I shave, I get dressed and then I, I go to work. And usually I, you know, turn on the, you know, the faucet or whatever and, you know, I wait for the hot water to come out. And every once in a while I wait for the hot water to come out and the hot water never comes out. You know, the hot water heater, you know, stopped working for whatever reason, you know, and it's like, you know, 40 degrees outside, it's freezing cold, you got to take this freezing cold shower, and then you remember, oh man, I took, you know, I took for granted this thing that I had in my life until it wasn't there. And Paul was thankful that they were not here and not here, there for a little while and gone. He was thankful that they were faithful each and every single day, each and every week, faithfully there. When you think about your church and you think about, you know, I know that the church will gather together on Sunday, praise the Lord for that faithfulness. Praise the Lord that you know on a Sunday morning, there's going to be people here worshiping the Lord. Uh, praise the Lord for that faithfulness, that there's going to be teachers teaching the class, faithfully witnessing to others. We can be thankful for that. And that's what Paul was thankful for. He stopped to give thanks to God for this church thankfulness usually ends at that step right i thank god for this thing and then we move on but paul didn't move on quite yet there's another step in his thanksgiving here that is sometimes not included but it's good for us to include here in verse number three he says i thank my god upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy you know what paul did he acted on his thanksgiving with supplication he prayed for these people he didn't just stop and say i'm thankful for you all he thought i'm so thankful for these people and then he would pray for them he would take time to ask god on their behalf because he loved them and wanted the best for them in verse number six it says being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of jesus christ even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because i have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel ye all are partakers of my grace for god is my record how greatly i long after you all in the bowels of jesus christ he's saying i love you so much i wish i could be there i'm so thankful to god for you all and I, if i could be there with you i would love to do that because i really want the best for you i want the best things that god has for you and so he begins to pray for these best things well what does he pray for for them when you think about those people that you love and you're thankful for what, what do you think about, I wish that they could have this. I want the best things for them, and that means this, that, and the other. Well, what Paul prayed for, for these people that he loved, that he was thankful for, he prayed for their abounding love. 
In verse number nine, he says, and this I pray. This is what I'm praying for for you. I love you. I want the best for you. This is what I'm praying for for you. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. He prayed that their love, as wonderful as it was already, would continue to grow. Because without love, we are nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He's saying you might be the best speaker in the world, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. Verse number two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, if I do not have God's love, I am nothing. Oh, it doesn't matter if you're the smartest person in the world, you have photographic memory, you remember everything, you learned everything so quickly. Not only that, you have so much faith in God that you could remove mountains. If you don't have love, you're nothing. Verse number three, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. It doesn't matter how much you do for others. If you do not do it out of love, it does not profit you. What God wants is for us to love, to love him, and to love others. That's really what God wants. Matthew chapter 22, one of them came to Jesus asking a question, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? If you could pick one commandment, and that's the one commandment you're going to obey your whole life, or that's the focus, so that's the most important commandment, what is it? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. You can't separate the second commandment from the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So Paul says, I'm praying for the best thing for you, which is that your love will grow. The second thing that he prayed for was their approval process, that their love would abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent. So Paul said, I want the best for you, but that means that you need to approve the best things for you. Uh, every single one of us, we have lots of options in life, lots of choices, lots of different things that we could be doing, but we've got to choose the best things if we're going to have the best things. I remember when I was, uh, you know, going to propose to uh, my wife, I had to go get a ring. I'd never bought a ring before. I didn't know anything about jewelry, and so I did what everybody in my situation would do. We Google it, Right. What should I look for in a ring, you know? And I began to find some uh, details. And I learned some things about diamonds, that there are ratings of diamonds. And uh, they call them the four C's. The four C's that you need to remember about diamonds. All right? And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, the first one that I knew, that I think everybody knows, is how it's cut. You know, there's a typical shape of a diamond. But different people have different diamond shapes. You know, that's an important thing. Uh, it also matters how big it is. You know, you got little diamonds, you got bigger diamonds, you got different things like that. So those are the first two, you know, how it's cut and the carrot weight. It's the other two that I was vaguely aware of, but I didn't realize that there was an actual rating system for these things. The first is color. Some diamonds are more clear than others. Some are a little bit yellowish. 
And so, you know, from the naked eye, you could tell some of the ratings, you know, kind of the lower rated diamonds. You could see they look a little yellowish. Uh, but some of the higher rated ones, you know, they're like clear. They look absolutely clear. The other one is clarity. You know, as diamond forms, sometimes there's little specks that are found within the diamond, you know, and they, they look at those and they see how big they are, how many they are, and they give a rating for all of these things. And so I, I was looking at, at, at these different things and, and uh, they talk about these imperfections that are in the diamond. And I thought, if I'm going to marry this girl, I want to give her the very best diamond I can give her, right? I want to just give her like, yeah, sure, that's fine, whatever. Yeah, give me, give me whatever diamond you have, you know? I wanted to make sure if I'm going to marry this girl, I want the best diamond. And so I was asking questions like, you know, what's the rating on this? You know, show, you know, what, you know, look at it, you know? And, you know, the guy, you know, he had the little, you know, little, I don't know, monocle thing or whatever, and he would look at the diamond, you know, yeah, this one's a really great diamond, you know? Everyone's a really great diamond, you know? But like, you know, oh, this is a really great diamond. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, I was looking at these different things. And, you know, some diamonds have a little bit color, and you know what brings that color is the imperfections that are in the diamond. However, when the diamond was formed, there were little bits of other things that were there that got trapped. And when the diamond was formed, it began to color the diamond. And God does not want lesser things for us. He wants the best things for us. And Paul said, I want the best things for you. But you've got to go through that process of picking out the best things. You've got to go through that process and think about, should I take this job or should I take that job? Should I go be involved in this ministry or be involved in that ministry? How should I watch the show or not watch the show? What should I do? All of these different things. All of those decisions are part of our life that lead us to God being able to give us the greatest things. Because Paul prayed for their created purpose. In verse number 11, he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. See, we live in America, and America has an abundance of, can we say it, everything, right? Whatever it is kind of that we would want is kind of found here in America. And we as Americans can easily live lives full of pleasure, but without purpose. We have so many things that we can enjoy without having to answer the question, why did God put me here? We could go to Disneyland. We could go to, you know, SeaWorld. We could go to the mountains. We could go to the beach. We could enjoy the sun. We could go to, you know, hiking. We could, everything that you would kind of want is right here. Not that far away. You know, in the wintertime, you want to go skiing and snowboarding? Great, you could go there. You want to go surfing? You could go and go there. You want to take your family out somewhere to some theme park? It's there. Pretty much everything is here, and we could have those things and go there and do all of these things. There's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things, but it doesn't answer the question, why am I here? What is my purpose? And Paul was praying that they would stay with their purpose. Because if we don't have our purpose, then we're going to go through life and at the end look back and be like, what was that all about? <laughs> Why are we here? And the Bible makes it very clear. We were created by God and can only find our purpose in God. You're not going to find your purpose in money. You're not going to find your purpose in success. 
You're not going to find your purpose in the pleasures of this world. You can only find it in God. And in this verse, in verse number 11, he says, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. That's our purpose. That's what God wants us to do. And that's what Paul was praying for these people, that they would find their purpose or really stay with their purpose, bring praise and glory to God, because unless you find your purpose, ultimately at the end of life, there is dissatisfaction. What was, why was I here? What's the purpose of my life? What did I do with my time? And so Paul prayed that they would stay on track. So here is Paul, once again, in prison, thinking about these people. As he thought about them, he thanked God for them. And so for us, just a few quick, simple steps. In your Thanksgiving, maybe on Thursday, on Thanksgiving Day, you want to take a few moments. Let's take a few moments to do these things. Number one, direct our Thanksgiving to the Lord. Number two, we can thank God for whatever it is that you're thankful for. But then thirdly, let's follow it up and let's pray for them. You're thankful for your dad? pray for your dad. You're thankful for your kids? Pray for your kids. You're thankful for a coworker? Pray for them. You're thankful for your church? Think about the members of the church and picture them in your mind and pray for them. And that is the completion of thanksgiving that we see with Paul.